If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to this verdict with Ted Cruz weekend review. Ben Ferguson here, and these are the big stories that you may have missed that we talked about this past week. Number one, it's a political issue, and the question now is how does it move forward as Democrats move to take Donald Trump off the ballot? taking away the rights of the citizens of Maine and Colorado from choosing who they want to be president. So how do we move forward with this and what will the Supreme Court do? We dive into that. Also, Al Sharpton comes to protect and defend Harvard's president, who is kind of stepped down, but still making over a million dollars a year from the university. How did that happen? We'll give you the real details about this fake firing at Harvard. And finally, a big win for the country when it comes to security at the southern border and commerce with a bipartisan piece of legislation that Senator Ted Cruz led on. It is the Weekend Review, and it starts right now. All right, so let's move into the politics and the timing of this year. We're, we're, we're very close now to, to getting into the primaries. We're talking about Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina Center. You know this map and this calendar and how important it is uh, when you ran for president. And, and this could linger on with this over Donald Trump's head with state after state trying to kick him off the ballot. How long could we have to wait until the Supreme Court gets involved? And then how long would we have to wait for the ruling for this to come down? Are we weeks or months? How long could this how does this play out at the Supreme Court? Well, the appeal is already pending at the Supreme Court. So last week, last Wednesday, the Colorado Republican Party asked the Supreme Court to overturn the Colorado Supreme Court's decision so that that the initial appeal papers have been filed Uh, in the interim. Trump's name is on the ballot. And and in Colorado, and that was under the terms of the Colorado Supreme Court decision, which which is it it they stayed their own decision pending appeal. They recognized uh, the massive consequences of it. So the primary in Colorado is on March fifth. 
Uh, and so right now, Trump's name is on the March 5th ballot. Uh, with the appeal filed, the, the court could act exceptionally quickly. The court could act uh, in a matter of days or weeks. And there are times for emergency appeals that the court schedules a very expedited briefing schedule, schedules oral arguments and issues a decision. I hope they do that. Look, there's a chance they take their time and let it play out because the Colorado Supreme Court decision is stayed. And, and so they could say, well, look, he's going to be on the ballot. So there's no urgency or exigency and and by the way in in maine there's a good chance the maine courts overturn the maine secretary of state's decision if that happens then then there is no immediate threat to the voters being denied the ability to to elect the candidate of their choice um i hope the court doesn't doesn't slow down or doesn't take their time doing it i hope they resolve this quickly i think it's important to have clarity nationally uh but the, the court has the ability. There are times where it has briefed and heard argument and issued decisions within a matter of days. So it has the ability to move very quickly during Bush versus Gore, during those 36 days when we had uh, multiple recounts in Florida. As, as you'll recall, I was part of the legal team that was litigating Bush versus Gore. I was down in Tallahassee representing George W. Bush. In those 36 days, we went to the U.S. Supreme Court twice and and. Uh, within that period, briefed out the case, had oral argument and had decisions two different times from the U.S. Supreme Court within those 36 days. So when the court wants to, it can move exceptionally fast. Um, I would note also that that between the two, look, in terms of the general election, uh, the odds are not great that Colorado is going to be a swing state. Uh, Joe Biden won Colorado by about 14 points last time. Uh, and and so it's it's Colorado is not anticipated to be a swing state in November. Maine, interestingly enough, is so Maine has an unusual way of allocating its electoral votes. Maine has a total of four electoral votes and two of them go to the winner of the state. And then one goes to the winner of one congressional district and another goes to the winner of another congressional district. So Maine has two congressional districts. What's interesting about that is even though Maine has been a reliably Democrat state in presidential elections for some time, one of the two congressional districts in Maine quite regularly will vote for Republicans. And so Trump won one electoral vote out of Maine. He out of one of the districts he won, the other three he lost. Um, and, and that could easily happen again. And, and listen, if this election was qu- close, it could literally come down to that single electoral vote in Maine deciding the outcome. And, and so the decision in Maine is quite consequential. It, it, it's also consequential going forward. Do other states, in particular swing states, make the same determination? Do you see uh, bigger states, a Pennsylvania, a Michigan, a Wisconsin? Do, do, do you see states like that that are very much uh, in play, that very much could go either way? Uh, do you see them engage and try to follow this pattern? And and if these left-wing partisans were to succeed in removing Trump from the ballot, I think the risk would be very high that you would see other bigger and more consequential swing states following that pattern. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because they're not going to succeed. And by the way, there's an obvious escalation at some point if the left weaponizes the legal system to such an extent that they try to remove the Republican nominee from the general election ballot. 
you're likely to see red states reciprocate and and try to remove the Democrat nominee from the ballot. That that this can be a mutually assured destruction, which is one of the reasons I I don't think there's any chance the Supreme Court allows this Colorado decision to go into effect because it undermines the ability of the voters to to choose who they want as president and and that is as foundational to democracy in our country as as anything there is finally on this there's the political ramifications of this there's a lot of conservative voters now that are very upset uh i've i've heard from more uh people that are not necessarily big fans of donald trump uh, that are now like the hell with this. I'm I'm going to stand behind Donald Trump because this is just so egregious. Do you think the Democrats overplayed their hand here politically, and and the backfire could be catastrophic to them? Or by the time we get to election day, will a lot of this just be forgotten? Well, I I think politically this benefits Trump in the primary. Um, you know, rewind, go back, go back to our early podcasts last year. When the first Trump indictment, when the Alvin Bragg indictment came down, you and I went on air. And right after that indictment, I went on this podcast and I told the podcast viewers, I said, Donald Trump will go up 10 points in the polls as a result of this. That was a prediction I made immediately after the indictment came down. A week later, Donald Trump was up 10 points in the polls. And by the way, he's never come down since. If you look at a year ago. The poll numbers had a much more competitive race between Trump and DeSantis a year ago. And then the first indictment came and then the second and then the third and then the fourth. And Trump's numbers went up and up and up and everyone else's numbers went down. And I think one of the effects is in a Republican primary, people rallied around Trump. Look, when the Colorado Supreme Court decision came down, all of Trump's opponents immediately denounced it, which you had to do it. It it was a lawless abuse of power. I also think the Democrats are quite fond of that. Every single Democrat in elected office wants Trump to be the nominee. But at the same time, so so they are happy with helping Trump in the primary because that's the outcome they want. In the general, assuming this Colorado decision is overturned, assuming the main decision is overturned, it could backfire. You could see some independent and swing voters get ticked off in a state like Maine that has independence that might have some some lasting legacy in a state like Colorado that has some independence that might have some impact as well. I have not seen any evidence that this abuse of power is hurting Democrats in a general election. Um, it may be the case, but one of the challenges is that the media is so utterly corrupt that they're by and large not reporting on it but i would i would tell listeners a verdict anytime you're you're talking with with leftists who are arguing and they're trotting out uh language like we must save democracy um you know it's a great opportunity to say oh save democracy you mean like colorado like maine like like preventing the voters from actually voting for the candidate they want to vote for explain to me how exactly it's saving democracy to stop the voters from voting for the candidate they want to vote for. And and I don't know of a leftist who can argue against that other than to just jabber, uh, you know, Trump is evil, Trump is evil, Trump is evil, rather than actually engage in reason and logic. Uh, and, and so I'm not convinced this abuse of power will have a massive ish impact on turnout in November, uh, but I do think it helps Trump in, in the primaries.
Now, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, you can go back and listen to the full podcast from earlier this week. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Now on to story number two. And Al Sharpton coming out, as you know, Barack Obama, as you mentioned earlier, behind the scenes was working hard to protect her. Uh, Sharpton condemned gays critics as racist for questioning the integrity of a black woman, a woman that, 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 no pun intended, in black and white. Her words show that she lifted other people's words and used them as her own, uh, saying this, quote, President Gay's resignations about more than a person or a single incident. This And he's right. It wasn't a single incident. Now we've been told more than 50 incidents of plagiarism. He goes on to say, this is an attack on every black woman in this country who puts a crack in the glass ceiling. Is it really that, Senator? Or is it just the fact that she cheated and even they at Harvard couldn't get over that? Well, it was ultimately this was hurting Harvard. Harvard was becoming a laughing stock. When, when, and look, if you look at... at at, at her academic record, she had published very little for a professor. You expect the president of Harvard to be a serious scholar, to be a world-class scholar. And, and Claudine Gay's entire career w- w- was built pushing the ideology of, of DEI. It was, it, she, she was an African-American studies Professor, She had published relatively little. What she did publish, there are now serious questions about the academic integrity of it. And, and there is no person on planet Earth 
that believe DEI, she would what it stands for again, just because there's maybe people that are new yes. that don't exactly know what DEI stands for. And this is something that the woke left is obsessed with. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and it is the premise of, of their anti-racism. It is the premise of critical race theory. It is the premise of the cultural Marxist on the left who advocate that we should affirmatively discriminate and discriminate against so-called oppressors and in favor of so-called victims. It's why the radical left is just fine with Jewish people being demonized, being threatened, because to the cultural Marxist, Jewish people are oppressors. It's why cultural Marxists are okay with, with whatever Hamas terrorists do, because they are the victims. And that same reasoning... Look, I'll give you an example. Ibram X. Kendi, who's one of the godfathers of critical race theory, who, who, who has pushed this so-called anti-racism, which we've talked about at length in this podcast. It's, it has an Orwellian name because what he means by anti-racism is aggressively discriminating against the so-called oppressors on behalf of the so-called victims. Here's what he had to say about Claudine Gay resigning. Quote, racist mobs won't stop until they topple all black people from positions of power and influence who are not reinforcing the structure of racism. What these racist mobs are doing should be obvious to any reporter who cares about truth or justice as opposed to conflicts and cliques. That is going to be their talking point. If you dare stand against their radical ideology, you are by definition a racist and, and, and that they, they, they still see nothing that she did or said that was wrong. I want to I play for everybody to remind them of exactly where all this started and to put it back into context of, of the, the demise of this Harvard president is not for what she said that was anti-Israel, anti-Semitic. It was the plagiarism. And do not be duped by the mainstream media acting like she's being held accountable for these words. These words that she said before Congress to Representative Stefanik are words that Harvard was willing to stand by her no matter what. Here is that flashback uh, to, to December the 5th and what was said. Harvard's student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech... It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African-Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech It's a yes extends. or no question. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech 
is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is also, against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech and not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech, speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, you and I both know that's offensive. not the case. You are aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the data shows it's true. And isn't it true that Harvard previously rescinded multiple offers of admissions for applicants and accepted freshmen for sharing offensive memes, uh, racist statements, sometimes as young as 16 years old? Did Harvard not rescind those offers of admission? That long predates my time as president. But you so understand that Harvard made that decision to rescind those offers of admission. I have no reason to contradict the facts as you present them. Correct, here. because it's a fact. You're also aware that a Winthrop House faculty dean was let go over, he, over who he chose to legally represent, correct? That was while you were dean. That is an incorrect characterization of what transpired. What's the characterization? I'm not going to get into details about a personnel matter. Well, let me ask you this. Will admissions offers be rescinded or any disciplinary action be taken against students or applicants who say, from the river to the sea or intifada, advocating for the murder of Jews? As I've said, that type of hateful, reckless, offensive speech is personally abhorrent to me. And today that no action will be taken. What action will be taken? When speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation, we take action. And we have robust disciplinary processes that allow us to hold individuals accountable. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust What actions have been taken? I'm not asking. Actions underway. I, I'm asking what actions have been taken against given, those students. Given students' rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. Do you know what the number one hate crime in America is? I know that over the last couple of months, there has been an alarming rise of anti-Semitism, which I understand is the critical topic that we are here to discuss. That's correct. It is anti-Jewish hate crimes. And Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. This is why I've called for your resignation. And your testimony today, not being able to answer with moral clarity, speaks volumes. I yield back. Senator, you hear that, and, and, and the, the part that I think galls me the most is the fact that she's still employed, she's still going to be paid about a million dollars a year, she's just had a title change. That's it. 
Well, and, and, and Harvard doesn't intend to change its conduct. They certainly have made no expression that they intend to do differently. They, they, they were forced after over a billion dollars in commitments to contributions were called out after academically their president became a laughingstock. Uh, after you began to have students who I, I would note had to anonymously call for her to resign because they were afraid of retaliation, after you had uh, op-ed editorials in the New York Times and the Washington Post, bastions of the left, both calling not from the papers but from, from edit- uh, people submitting uh, op-eds, calling for her resignation. After all of that, it became intolerable, and yet they dug in and they dug in and they dug in. And, 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 it, and it's, it's really quite ironic. You look at her testimony, and, and, and she, she is defending free speech. And, and it would be one thing if she was saying, you know, Harvard's a place where, where anyone can say anything, and we protect free speech for everyone. That's laughably false. They protect free speech for anti-Semites and leftists, and at the same time, so there's an organization called FIRE, and FIRE is, is actively involved in fighting to defend free speech and examining censorship and, and suppression of free speech on campus. And they, does, they do an elaborate uh, survey every year and an analysis of universities across the country. So Harvard is consistently ranked one of the worst in the country. In 2020, Harvard ranked number 46 out of 55 schools. Uh, in terms of protecting free speech. In 2021, it ranked 130 out of 154 schools. In 2022, it ranked 170 out of 203 schools. And this past year in 2003, Harvard was dead last. And out of a possible score from 0 to 100, Harvard's score was actually a negative 10.69. So it was dead last. It was six standard deviations below the average and more than two standard deviations below the second to last school in the rankings. And the second to last school was the University of Pennsylvania, Penn. Uh, and so when, when she is, is saying, well, anti-Semites are allowed and, and apparently encouraged because of free speech, that is a policy that is applied very selectively, and Harvard's expressed no willingness, no desire to correct that. Uh, and, and I think it is imperative that this become a moment to try to uh, address and try to fix the profound ideological corruption. By the way, if you look at the Harvard Corporation board, every single one of its board members is a hardcore partisan ideological Democrat. There is no one right of center allowed anywhere near that board. And you see it in the policies why they universally circled the wagons around Claudine Gay. And and, and it was only when dragged kicking and screaming that they allowed her to resign. As before, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation on this topic, you can go back and download the podcast from earlier this week to hear the entire thing. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I want to get back to the big story number three of the week you may have missed. I want to move to something else that is obviously uh, important and significant. We've talked about it, uh, and it's a big win uh, on the border to secure the enactment of a streamlined permitting process for new and expanded bridges across the Rio Grande uh, in Brownsville, Laredo, and Eagle Pass, Texas. It is something uh, that you uh, were a part of and, and led on. It's now actually become law. You were down in Laredo, and I want to play for people part of what you had to say uh, at this very, very big moment. We're here today to celebrate bipartisan legislation that was signed into law in December of last year that will expedite building new bridges and expanding bridges between Texas and Mexico. We're here at the World Trade Bridge, the largest land port in the United States. Every year, Texas and Mexico have roughly 800 billion in trade and commerce that comes across this border. That's jobs in Texas. That's jobs in Mexico. That's the lifeblood of South Texas. This is obviously significant, not just from the standpoint of security that you talked about and and orderly commerce coming across the border in a safer manner, uh, but it's also a really big deal from the fact that, as you mentioned, it was bipartisan. Talk about how significant this is going to be for this country uh, and for Texas. Well, the audio you just played was from a press conference that I did in Laredo yesterday morning, and, and it was right at the World Trade Bridge, right right on the southern border, and I did that alongside Henry Cuellar, the Democrat congressman who represents Laredo. And Henry and I worked hand-in-hand hand in this, and it was a huge victory. Uh, the the uh, Texas Business Association that was down there with us, and there was a large group of people celebrating this legislative victory that we had just two weeks ago, 
uh, describe the legislation that, that I introduced and passed as the biggest positive step for jobs and commerce in Texas since the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement was negotiated. It, it, it is literally billions of dollars of additional trade and commerce and tens of thousands of jobs. And, and real quickly, what happened? So there are four bridge projects that have been proposed in South Texas, two in Laredo, one in Brownsville, one in Eagle Pass. And the Biden administration had put bureaucratic barriers. They were delaying every one of these bridge projects. The, the World Trade Bridge that I was at yesterday morning, that bridge right now is eight lanes. Uh, they have proposed to expand it to 18 lanes, to more than double the size of it, which enables commerce to move much more rapidly. That benefits farmers, that benefits ranchers, that benefits manufacturers, that benefits small businesses, that benefits consumers by lowering prices at the grocery store. It also benefits national security by making it easier to bring manufacturing back from China, either back to the United States or nearshoring it, bringing it back to Mexico where we can have trade and commerce uh, with with Mexico rather than China. So all of those are, are good outcomes. And, and, and what happened, so in order to build a bridge ordinarily, you have to do what is called federal environmental NEPA review. It's to go through a process of reviewing the environmental impact of a bridge. That's true for any bridge. Um, if you're building a bridge across an international border, there's an additional legal requirement. You need a, a permit from the president of the United States. Now, the way this used to be done is the president would grant that permit contingent on the completion of the NEPA review. And, and, and what that did is accelerated the process, enabled it to move through quickly. When Joe Biden became president, he announced they were reversing that policy and and Biden was going to grant zero presidential permits for cross-border bridges unless and until the NEPA environmental re review was fully completed. The effect of that was to add two, three, four, five years to these bridge projects to delay them all. It also made it harder for them to to get funding because the banks were reluctant to commit capital until the presidential permit had been granted. So there was a chicken and egg problem. And 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 the Biden administration dug in. And so what I did is, is number one, unified the congressional delegation in South Texas. And so I brought together a coalition of myself and John Cornyn, the other Texas senator, along with Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, Monica Dela Cruz, a Republican, Vicente Gonzalez, a Democrat, and Tony Gonzalez, a Republican, all of the South Texas congressional delegation, we, we jointly pressed the Biden State Department reverse this idiotic policy. This is hurting Texas and hurting America. The Biden administration dug in. They refused to, to change. And so I authored legislation mandating that they expedite the process got bipartisan support in the Senate, passed it out of the Senate, and then passed it out of the House, and Joe Biden signed it into law on December 22nd. It was actually my birthday that he oh, signed wow. it into law. And, and so it was a pretty great birthday gift uh, because it's a huge victory for jobs in the state of Texas. And, and, and it's an example of, you know, I got to say, it's, all, it's also an example of the bizarre 
hypocrisy. I, I mean, let me ask you seriously, Ben, explain to me the mind of a whack job liberal that you want totally open borders and 10 million people invading this country illegally, including human traffickers and drug traffickers on the one hand. But on the other hand, you want to put bureaucratic roadblocks in the way of legal trade and commerce from farmers and businesses while you're allowing illegal immigrants to flow with no, with, with no restraint. Yeah, it makes no sense, especially when every year Texas and Mexico, as you mentioned, have roughly $800 billion in trade and commerce that come across this border. And this does it in a, in a more orderly fashion, but also with the issue of, of national security involved in it, keeping it orderly with safety and security, especially with all the drug trafficking, fentanyl and everything else coming across the border. It makes no sense. Look, that, that that's exactly right. And, and we ended up uh, building the bipartisan coalition to pass this into law. And so the way the law works is December 22nd is when Joe Biden signed it into law. On that date, which was the date he signed it, it, the legislation starts a shot clock of 60 days. And the State Department has a 60-day time limit to submit its recommendations to the White House as to whether he should grant the permit for these four bridges. After that 60-day period, a second shot clock starts, and the president has 60 days to make a determination on the permit. If the president does nothing, after that second 60 days, the permit is deemed automatically granted by operation of law. What that means is because it was signed on December 22nd, that by April 20th, we will have these presidential permits, which will expedite these bridges going forward. That is an enormous victory, despite the Biden administration putting roadblocks in the way every step of the way. As always, thank you for listening to Verdict with Senator Ted Cruz. Ben Ferguson with you. Don't forget to download my podcast and you can listen to my podcast every other day. You're not listening to Verdict or each day when you listen to Verdict afterwards. I'd love to have you as a listener to, uh, again, the Ben Ferguson podcast. And we will see you back here on Monday morning. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.